We are here back. Another screen heat Miami. We're back. You can't see me. I'm animated. Well, That's you're always animated, now. but now you're really animated. <laughs> I'm Literally. as animated as it gets. Yes. And uh, speaking of which, I'm very excited about our, our animated guest. Uh, that we're going to be introducing Jason Rothberg, uh, who also used the similar Zavatar technology that he, you're talking about uh, during a very animated discussion. So we'll just keep the animation puns going. Just keep it going. <laughs> and full disclosure, Jason Rothberg and I are in business together on this hmm. company called Zavatar. But it is the business of the business. It's the business of the business. Nothing <laughs> that you see or hear on the Screen Heat Miami podcast can be interpreted as any legal endorsement of any product, service, or type, unless it's a sponsor, which we have great sponsors, right? <laughs> That's right. Great segue. The Dick Multimedia. The Miami Media and Film Market. Cinevision. And Camacol. Yes. And I am Kevin Sharpley. I'm JL Martinez. And we've got a lot of business to take care of before we jump into this great interview with Jason. Really cool guy. Uh, so I say we just get right into it. You know, he is a big music guy. Uh, music producer has worked with some of the great music titans over the years. And you'll hear more about the, the, the artists that he's worked with. But speaking of great artists uh, who have recently passed away, Meatloaf. We don't meatloaf, but before we get into meatloaf, there's one little tidbit about Jason Rothberg. Speaking of people passing away, Jason Rothberg produced Bishop Desmond Tutu's 85th birthday wow. event. Wow. And you'll hear about that in this podcast. Someone who also recently passed. But yeah, Meatloaf just recently passed. Yeah, he did. Unfortunately, died uh on January 20th. He passed away apparently of COVID complications. Uh, and so uh, I know allegedly, we don't know. Allegedly, sure. but that is what is being sort of uh, thrown about now in the various headlines that we see. And uh, it, I know that he was outspoken uh, in the past about sort of not being super vaccinated or, you know, wanting his freedom. Uh, I think at one point he even said he'd rather just die than have to you know, capitulate to all the mandates kind of thing. Uh, but unfortunately, yeah, it looks like uh, he didn't make it. And uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Great artist, though, just such a talent. Uh, and and speaking of which, Variety just posted an article that apparently uh, the 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 following his death, his streaming music saw a 4,650% jump in wow. music streams of Meatloaf following his death and and a meteoric rise also in sales of his singles and albums so people just went totally totally meatloaf uh after his passing uh to the point that apparently even before his death his music was very popular on streaming platforms anyway mm -hmm. but uh what what they have been tracking you know since starting on january 21st again is an over four thousand percent jump uh, on the baseline, uh, and and sales that have increased thirty three thousand seven hundred ninety three percent, just on track sales alone. Uh, so apparently, you know, folks were really feeling meatloaf, and and just started like jamming to his music, buying his albums, downloading his songs, like just going total meatloaf after this happened. Yeah, well, I, look, this is a guy. His music. I don't even know if you can place it in a genre, a specific genre. Um, it, it's 
really uh, an all-encompassing type of musical style that Meatloaf uh, had because he's yeah. passed. Mm. And so it's some, it's his music touches a lot of different types of people across many different genres, you know, class, race, what have you. Mm. So, you know, it's very heartbreaking news. He was also an actor. And I think he was as talented as an actor, as a, a musician. So, oh, yeah, you know, yeah. And he even says that he considered himself an actor and a performer first. And in fact, when he would go on tour, he would actually create characters for all of his songs mm -hmm. and just kind of act them out on stage. But yeah, he's been in, I think, over 60 movies and TV shows. Uh, obviously, I think a lot of people remember him and his music from Rocky Horror Picture Show and a bunch of other yeah. stuff that he acted in as well. So, yeah, definitely. Uh, so many, so many iconic, iconic uh, touch points. That, yeah. Uh, meatloaf hit upon but there is a controversy mm. a controversy their good old friend i would say someone on the airwaves just like us right uh, but <laughs> maybe in a bigger sense mr howard stern yes i uh I, be I believe that yeah now he is sort of taking on this sort of alleged uh death due to covid and the possibility we don't know for sure whether he was vaccinated or not that uh that his family should apparently speak out and say look this is what happens when you don't get vaccinated kind of thing yeah and i think that they kind of had a back and forth even while he was um he was Stone. alive right yeah so you know howard storm is not one to pull any punches or right. mince any words hmm. even in death <laughs> right yeah he's uh pardon the pun he's like a bat out of hell when it comes to <laughs> speaking his mind right. <laughs> definitely but um but yeah it's uh, it's you know obviously look a lot of discussions going on into in terms of of what's going on in the world right now and uh you know we've lost a lot of really good folks unfortunately to this pandemic and it looks like you know that that hasn't completely gone away yet unfortunately yeah yeah but moving on into other news yes let's move i mentioned on. i was in my animated self yes Animation has become more important in the film and entertainment industry, especially in these times. It's a bit harder to even do production. The costs sometimes run 20% more because you have to have COVID protocols. Mm. And so those COVID protocols oftentimes involve even having a dedicated person on set to ensure that those protocols are met. Right. So animation, which can be done remotely in a lot of ways, my company does animation. We work with animators here in the U.S., around the country, and some around the world. Um, as we talked about, I was just in Kenya, and so I even have animators in Kenya working on some things. Hmm. But Mr. Worldwide, you thought it was people. It was actually, <laughs> it's actually Kevin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, six degrees of. Kevin and JL, we're going to call it that, but really it's like two, two degrees. But in Absolutely. a bigger sense, um, what animation allows for is still being able to put out a lot of content on a high level. I think that voice acting is on par with acting in front of the camera, but to be able to get to a lot of storytelling means by utilizing other, other devices. Animation has become even bigger in documentary and it's being integrated into all of the platforms. Uh, but we are not here to talk about me. 
<laughs> we're here to talk about animation as a whole right and so you know there are a lot a lot of animation iconic series iconic characters throughout history none more popular than king of the hill dang it bobby that's right he's coming back <laughs> king of the hill is coming back i tell you man you can't trust the government one of my favorite all-time animated shows from fox there are rumors very strong rumors now that indeed king of the hill uh which of course is is co-created by the brilliant mike judge and greg daniels uh is set for a potential reboot in which there will be a time jump so which is actually a very rare thing in, in animation to see characters as they're a little bit older i mean i know certain episodes of the simpsons have kind of foreshadowed what bart and lisa would look like when they're adults and that kind of thing but it seems like as part of this king of the hill reboot they are actually going to age their characters somewhat now they didn't specify how old they're going to be so you know, uh, is Bobby going to be a teenager? Is he going to be a young adult? Is he going to be a tween? I mean, who the hell knows? But I think it's going to be fascinating to see, you know, if Fox finalizes that uh, contract with uh, with the creators to see exactly what this new show is going to be about. It's going to be really cool. Well, I think it's going to be very cool. I can't wait to see it myself. Dang it. That's going to be a great dang show. I'm just going <laughs> to sit in the backyard, sip my beer, talk about how great I am. Yeah, definitely gotta grab a six pack, maybe a twelve pack. <laughs> Sit down, and watch the debut of that. Absolutely, yeah, that's gonna be a good one. So, yeah, hopefully that does get off the ground, and we can we can get uh, our fixins of of King of the Hill reboot very soon. That's gonna be amazing. It is gonna be amazing, and you know, just as an aside, we talked about this in our last podcast, but. We also had Robert Rice, mm. so you all can take a listen to his podcast. That was uh, three podcasts before this one, uh, talking about the metaverse. And we dropped that dime before Facebook uh, announced their meta before um, now Microsoft jumping even harder into the fray with their $68 billion purchase of Activision. Um the expansion of what's happening with the metaverse and they're looking for the metaverse to be an 800 billion dollar plus industry by 2024 wow there's already what they're calling protoverses um that are around so you want to think Fortnite, um and those you know world of warcraft in a way that uh, have this interactivity but it's just going to heat up even more so you have these metaverses that, for example, Universal Music, they have made a lot of their artists avatars that are going to now enter uh, one of the metaverses and you'll be able to go to these virtual concerts as your avatar self and experience real-time connections. So this, I think, is going to be one of the stronger areas for storytellers because you'll be able to actualize you know your vision of whatever your story is whether it's a script or a tv show you'll be able to actualize it in 
a 3D space. Of course, it's a, it'll be a virtual space, but there's so many possibilities and the possibilities are limitless. So for me, that's a very exciting time. I give a full disclosure, you know, we're already jumping into it. My company definitely always be on the edge of whatever can push storytelling further. Mm. So uh, definitely look for more news on this uh, metaverse coming from Screen Heat Miami. Oh, yeah. And, you know, you're going to hear more and more about it as it plays out over the next months. And of course, years when people will already be engaged and involved. So super, super exciting stuff. That's amazing. Yeah. And speaking of exciting, I say we we jump into our amazing interview with uh, with Jason. He had so much to say, such amazing stories and anecdotes from some of the wildest times in, in music history, really. So much. So much yeah. Great, great Joe stuff. Joe Strummer, The Clash, oh. Lenny Kravitz. Amnesty concerts, like all sorts of really cool shit, man. I'm excited. Yeah. So <laughs> without further ado, Jason Rothberg. Recording in progress. I think I think we're ready for launch. We've Jason. launched. <laughs> that's I'm ready. That's I'm, great. Jason's I'm in beaming. the space station already. I was gonna say I'm beaming in from space to Miami. I like it. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, it's I'm, uh this is this is great because we have Jason P. Rothberg here with us. Bum 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 <laughs> in the space station. Yeah, I, I like, and I just noticed it says the sync report back there. So this is your set, your virtual set. Yeah, this is actually where we film the the TV show. It's um, uh, like Kev was saying, a space station, space, you know, set in you know orbiting Earth, and you know we're teleporting and 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 using spaceships to bring our guests in. It's yeah, it's a lot of fun. Wow, I love it. I Usually love it. we start in the beginning. But uh, since you're already in the space station, we're going to start there on the space station. Yeah, why not? How did you get there? <laughs> How did I get there? So uh, I, I, am I telling you the scripted story or the real story? The, the, the three friends that invested in Bitcoin in 2009 uh, <laughs> or... or uh, or, or how we really got here. We're going to, we're going to, we're going to get to, uh, you know, how, how you really got there. I mean, it's really interesting. You're a, an animated avatar right now, right? That's correct. Um, um, we've been developing a new technology. I suffer from, uh, well, through this interview, I've suffered through all kinds of mental health issues, but one of, <laughs> one of the ones that I, I really uh, struggle with is being in front of a, a lens. Mm -hmm. um i don't like being in front of a camera i don't like my photo taken i don't like it just it's just very it gives me anxieties mm -hmm. so um the last couple of years i've really been focused on you know i've been doing music supervising since you know the early 90s but you know the last four years i've been now producing films as well and so i've been getting a lot of invitations to do um, webinars and panels and notoriously I turn them down you know if they're being paid or not I just don't want to do them but in uh, late May I was invited to do one for cans you can't and turn that down <laughs> there's, no there was no way I could turn it down so um, I got in touch with Kevin and Gene Franco um, who I had worked with many times before but I had you know we had worked we're developing for years now a animated film that kevin had written and gene franco created these great visuals for 
So I Gene Franco like- is my creative director, by the way, for listeners. Oh, there you and, go. And he's a partner for uh, for myself and Jason on on many different projects. So I'm sorry, Jason. Yeah, no, I should have said, yeah, specifically for this company's avatar. So um, I'm talking to the guys. I'm like, look, what can we, you know, I have four weeks until this opportunity. Can you create an animation I can use that would respond in real time? And of course, Gene Franco, yeah, yeah, no problem. I'm like, gee, no, you, I, it can't just be pre-recorded. I have to be able to, res- yeah, yeah, leave it with me. And he literally had four weeks to come up with a solution and he delivered the first, now this is the second prototype, but he delivered the first prototype, which worked seamlessly. It was just incredible. And we did this, I did this panel. It was a 50 minute panel. People are paying hundreds of dollars to listen to much bigger names, directors and producers that were sharing the stage with me. Um, And then the first 12 minutes of this 50 minute panel was completely hijacked and dedicated to this avatar. People were flipping out. The directors, the producers wanted to know more. We're getting inundated by people in the audience, you know, asking questions, you know, and and mostly where could they get it? So Mm -hmm. as soon as I got off that, that webinar, I was like on with my partners. I'm like, guys, this is a business put everything aside, you know, let us create real-time reactionary avatars for telecommunications. But as we started developing this, we, you know, we realized, wow, this is not just for telecoms. We have a solution for animation, for film and television, um, and, and, and so much, so much further. Um, How I took this guy, how we took this guy into space um, um, at the same time as I was starting to, you know, do these webinars, um, I had just finished a film called Fairy Tale, which was a, uh, an American, uh, Irish production. Um, and, um, uh, the producer from that movie turned me onto an app called Clubhouse. So I get on this app and, you know, I, I think I missed like the height of it that at one point in the pandemic, you know, you could see like Gaio Siri and, you know, everybody who was anybody in the industry was on this app at one point. So at first you're like, oh my God, this is amazing. Glad to be. And it was like invitation only. You could only get in. Now I think it's open to the world. Um, so I started going into these rooms. Every room has, and I'm doing air quotes at the moment. I will have to we're, the next phase of my Zavatar, you'll be able to start seeing my my flamboyant gestures. Um, <laughs> Can't wait for those. <laughs> no, no, but it only likes to mimic when I drink. So, uh, oh, okay. So the, there you go. Be, there you go. I was going to say. <laughs> Let's see if it can mimic what happens after you drink. I don't know. That could get crazy. Uh, yeah, fall over. <laughs> uh, it just goes Irish coffee. <laughs> So, so I'm in this, you know, in these different rooms, you know, listening to experts talk about, you know, my focus was independent filmmaking and music production. You know, these are, you know, my, you know, what's close to my heart, but they have, you know, COVID and politics and travel and dating. I mean, everything you can imagine. Wow. Wow. So as I'm getting in these rooms, though, I'm seeing what I call our dream stealers, right? We're all dreamers, right? We all have these wonder, we're creatives. We have these ideas that we want to bring to life and we want to share with, with you know, a bigger audience. Um, so I've 
I'm lucky enough to have 30 years experience in, in film and music. So, you know, I, I'm a little bit different than most of these people that were in the, I was sharing the audience with. And I could see them buying into these people who are promising moon and stars, but all for a price, right? You know, we'll, we'll get, you know, we'll raise you, a, you know, $5 million for your film. We'll get you a Netflix approved director. We'll do this. We'll do that. But, you know, you need to give us 100000 to get started. <laughs> and so alarm bells are going off in my mind. And, you know, my wife would say it's because I'm a Leo dog. Uh, but I have to, I have to always out the bad guy, you know. It's like there's the bad dog in the in the park. Stay away from him before he bites you. Um, so in response to that, I decided that um, I would launch my own my own room, which um, I was very lucky because I had spent most of the pandemic watching uh, um, panels and webinars that were being. Um, uh, hosted and, and attended by independent filmmakers. My mission was to find out what was the disconnect between independent films and, and music. Why so many great, potentially great films fell off the side of the cliff simply because the music was atrocious, you know? Um, so I, you know, I started connecting with all these filmmakers, you know, ones that had films in festivals or, you know, their first film that, you know, was on Apple or Sky or HBO. Uh, and so I was building a really nice network and all of them, you know, are like into their second, third, fourth films, still low budget, you know, indie films. And so I thought, ah, oh, you know, here's the moment I'm gonna connect these filmmakers with independent musicians and because they can't afford music supervisors, they need to understand what step deals are. You know, they need to be able to, you know, get great music without, you know, uh, killing the budget. And so this is this was my response to what I was seeing happen in, in on this app. Mm. And wow. over over a couple of weeks of doing it, it kind of turned into like a radio format. We would, you know, I, I had built this wonderful team of songwriters and filmmakers. And, you know, we would start off with a bit of banter. Then I would bring in, you know, somebody more established, um, you know, a movie star, or a mu famous musician, a, a filmmaker. And we would do an interview with them to discover their journey and then move into the, what I, we call the sync opportunity. Uh, where we would present an independent filmmaker and they would present their project, give the audience a brief, and then the public at large could submit their music. Then we would listen to the music. We would bring in panelists, um, you know, Kevin sitting on the panel, Milfredo Seven from uh, EMF is on the panel. Like we had some really amazing people, you know, even at those early stages, you know, participating and supporting and, you know, started plugging in sinks. It was really great. People were getting a kick out of it. And then we interviewed a woman named Rose Ganguza, who I had been chasing for a year and a half, trying to get her attention to get hired onto one of her films. Um, you know, she's been coined the godmother of independent film because she has, A, uh, created so much amazing content, but has launched so many careers uh, film stars, uh, directors, producers. Um, she's just an amazing woman that has um, a, has opened up doors for for talent. We're so we interviewing had, Rose on the next our next podcast. So 
Yeah. Oh, great. oh perfect. This is a good. This is a good prep. Yeah, yeah for that. You, you just gave us a great teaser. <laughs> so I mean, that, that I like you. I grabbed a hold of her. I said, "Please, Rose, will you do an interview?" And she was kind enough to spend an hour with us. Uh, and then afterwards, she calls me up. She goes, "Jason, what you're doing in you know in this space is very special. You know, I'd like to get involved." <laughs> I'm like, "Oh, great! You know, how does that? What does that mean?" Uh, she's like, no, I'll, I'll host the show. I'm like, okay, great. Oh my God. That's amazing. So Rose and I, you know, she jumps in the next show and she's like, like blowing me away as an interviewer. I mean, she's just so first off, she's highly intelligent, you know, Columbia, uh, graduate, and, um, she's worked in not just film, but, you know, so many aspects of business and charity and you know, it's just amazing an amazing human being so her ability to communicate is bar none and so just simply that just raise the level and you know everyone's like oh yeah you know rose like what are you doing with this i'm like oh it's gonna be a podcast that's what it's gonna be we're gonna do a podcast um and she goes well i, I have an idea i want you to talk to a friend of mine and i'm oh, of course friend of yours friend of mine let's go and next thing i know <clears throat> we have a contract from a a media company that has a distribution deal with Apple TV and they want to make our show into a TV series. Well, of wow. course I, I turned it down um, because there's no way I'm, I want to be on screen. That's just not my ambition. Um, and then as I'm talking to Kevin about it, it's like a light bulb goes off and it's like, wait, wait, we can do the TV show and I, I could be the Zavatar and oh my God, what a wonderful marketing <laughs> opportunity for us as well. Um, and, you know, bing, bang, boom. We're like, okay, well, maybe it should be, in, you know, in a New York high rise. Maybe it'll be in downtown Hollywood. Maybe it'll be in Singapore. And then I like, I was like, well, oh, God, you know, because they're throwing out all idea. I'm like, might as well put it in space. And Kevin's like, wait, that's it. We're going to space. And, uh, you know, I, I just was like, whatever. And like behind my back, Gene Franco and Kevin just create this incredible atmosphere um, that has just brought, you know, so much potential. And, you know, even though we talk about serious topics, we're very serious about our art. We do incorporate a lot of humor into what we do. So um, being in space, it kind of helps us break the, re the that reality concept uh, and allows us to push the limits. Um, so for example, um, you know, I was a huge fan of uh, Buck Rogers and uh, the, the 25th century. So I, I'm like, Kev, can I have a sidekick robot? I, I, like, I want Twiggy. And they're like, yeah, no problem. You want Twiggy? They create this. And he comes up with the idea as well. Let's just not make him roll around on the ground. Kevin's like, let's, let's make him uh, a, drone, a drone. So he's actually hovering and flying around. So we have this hovering robot that transforms into spaceships. And, you know, like if we, we had a joke, you know, he's just come in. He's brought our lead um, host, um, uh, a wonderful actor named Colin O'Donohue, uh, because Colin's character doesn't like to beam in. He doesn't want his, 
he's so beautiful he can't be departicalized you know god forbid <laughs> his nose gets on left center so uh, twiggy has to pick him up in his ufo and you know all of these it's just wonderful to like you know how the you know one idea leads to another so even though we're not in like a um you know, uh, a writer's room like you would, you know, ordinarily if you're on, on, you know, a lot creating something, we still create that atmosphere, banging ideas back and forth. And um, yeah, I've never had so much fun on a production as I am on this. Yeah, I mean, everyone contributes. I mean, we even have Jackie Martling, who is famously uh, one of the head writers from the Howard Stern show when it first started, and mm -hmm. also one of the main characters. And so, you know, everyone kind of contributes to the mix of things. And we're going to get back to the sync report in just a minute because there's a lot more to explore there because, you know, it's what's going on right now and it's what's happening in terms of the Jason P. Rothberg life. But we do, <laughs> we want to back it up just a little bit. Way back. Well, a lot. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it's funny because you mentioned Jason, a 30 year career, but, you know, obviously we talked a lot about creativity already and we always like to understand, you know, from your earliest days, like where are you from and when did you first start to get these sort of creative sparks and juices flowing and how did that happen? Where were you, where were you born, Jason? I was born in Encino, California. Okay. So Our audience raised, wants to know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm a valley boy. I yeah. raised in the uh, valley. Uh, I sense up, a little valley accent there. Yeah, yeah. yeah <laughs> gag me with a spoon. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, it, um, I, I spent up until my uh, high school years in a town called Agura, uh, which is near Westlake. It's, you know, kind of like the, the farthest you can get from the valley, you know, but being in the valley. Um, really lovely, you know, middle-class area. Um, then in high school, I moved, you know, I kind of kicked out of my mom's house and shipped off to my dad's and he was in uh, Oceanside, you know, San Diego. Um, so two very different worlds and different climates and different agendas um, and two very different kind of parenting. Um, so, but my, my, you know, look, so trying to kind of connect the dots of like, you know, the creativity through and the pain and the life and all this other wonderful stuff. Um, uh, my grandfather was a professional violinist in uh, Kiev before that the family, you know, uh, had to escape to America. Um, so, you know, there was like kind of that musical thing in the family mm -hmm. uh, already. Um, and then when my mom married, uh, my stepdad, a guy named Dale Holcomb, he was, he's the six foot two uh, Texan um, that, you know, you, incredibly intelligent. I mean, just like, you know, had read every book, but he was also one of those guys that just can do anything. Like, you know, he, he was in the Air Force, he would be flying planes, he, you know, he wants to play guitar, he masters guitar, you know, he comes to Hollywood, and ends up playing, you know, be, you know, backing Elvis, the Everly Brothers, he was in a band called the Hollywood Argyles, and uh, was part of uh, that song, remember, Ali Oop, 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 Oop. Um, oh, wow. It, right. Nice. So Ali, 
alley-oop was his. So, I mean, I, and he could play piano, every instrument, right? So between my grandfather, the violinist and him, you know, I, uh, I started studying music very young. So, you know, did a couple of years of piano, then kind of got frustrated with piano and, uh, you know, wanted, you know, I'm like, oh, I want to learn. You know, I always wanted to learn guitar, but Dale would, he's like, I want, you know, no, I want you to push yourself and do something else. And I was very lucky because our elementary school actually had a wonderful music program. So I went in, of course, I picked up the violin after my grandfather and studied the violin for a couple of years, got bored of that and moved to the French horn, um, uh, uh, which I, I just love that tone of that instrument. Uh, very different than anything. Oh, by the way, so as I'm getting good in piano, as I'm getting good with violin, you know, I'm surrounded by these amazing musicians that I just, I just kind of feel like in my gut, like, all right, I'm not going to be as good as them with this particular instrument. I'm going to find something else. So that brings me to the French horn, um, which I, you know, I, I actually studied that in silence. I didn't even tell my parents. I just wanted to like learn it, bring it home, play something to my stepfather that he couldn't do. So, you know, six months in, I can do Mary Had a Little Lamb. And I bring that French horn home and I'm like, hey, get a load of me. And he's like, oh, that's pretty cool. Let me have a look at that. And within 30 minutes, he was playing the French horn. So I figured, you know, I'm like, all right, I'm going to be the guy behind. Oh, but of course, I'm from French horn. Then he finally actually started teaching me guitar. Um, so I studied guitar for a while. But all the, what was great about it, even though I was never going to be that brilliant songwriter, that wonderful studio musician, I, I, it gave me an ear. So I, you know, if I hear a song, I know the difference between um, a cello and a double bass, a violin and a viola, a French horn or a sax. Um, you know, I, uh, and I didn't even realize I was gaining these skills. Um, but now further down the line, it, I look back and as much as it was painful going through all that and really having to swallow that pill that I'm, you know, I was in, you know, bands, you know, from elementary school and high school, you know, thinking I would, you know, <laughs> I could be something. Um, and then to be disappointed with that and be like, okay, but to realize the tools I learned just being around and studying those instruments, I, I, I feel truly blessed. Again, the best of the worst. Mm. Yes. Wow. I mean, this is pretty incredible to get that background because you've gone, you went on your career, you've worked with some of the best in the music industry, the film industry. And, you know, this really gives an understanding about the foundation that was laid before you that allowed for you to be able to connect on a different kind of level. Because you, you, you think about producers, you think about engineers, you think about people who come in and they work with artists, the ones I feel that transcend are the ones that can connect on that kind of level. So that's, well, that, I'm that's so pretty you, incredible. Yeah, I'm glad you picked up on that, Kevin, because, um, you know, through my life, you know, and, uh, um, uh, you know, I've gone through some pretty tragic things that, that really shook my confidence. Um, but, uh, and, you know, a lot of times, you know, I'm very socially awkward unless I'm talking about 
business, uh, my business, something that I'm secure in. Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, and meeting celebrities wasn't like that big of a deal to me. I was very lucky. My mother, when I was growing up, had the competition to the Rolling Stone mag uh, to Rolling Stone. She had Music Magazine, mm. um, which was a like one of the premier music magazines. So every week we would get boxes of albums, all the new releases. And so I remember, you know, from even three, four, five years old, sitting in front of the turntable, listening and listening and listening and just absorbing and loving music. Um, and because she was in that world, she would bring home some famous people. Um, at an early age, my cousin um, became an actress, a, quite a successful actress. Um, and I, you know, she, she, her mother was more of a mother to me. My mom was kind of a hippie, um, you know, uh, and let me kind of do whatever I wanted where my auntie was like, you know, very much, you know, my disciplinarian really. Um, so I had a really strong connection with her and my cousin. Um, and so when my cousin, who at the time was named Lisa Bonet, got uh, her job on um, uh, the Cosby Con show. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, it, you know, my girlfriend, she was my girlfriend at the time. <laughs> she didn't know it. I think she was, she was a lot of our girlfriends at the time right? <laughs> in our heads. Yeah. Yeah. She just didn't know it, but uh, I'm sorry to interrupt. Uh, go yeah. ahead. No, hey, are you kidding? I get that all the time. <laughs> um, but uh, so, you know, th there was a lot of celebrity around. And um, so that was, the, uh, so that was not an issue for me when I was, um, you know, when I got an opportunity to sit with someone like Miles Copeland um, from IRS Records, the manager for the police, just a brilliant businessman, uh, Joe Strummer, or, you know, if, you know, I uh, went on to work with No Doubt and Ice Cube and uh, 311 and you know, just a list of artists. And, I, you know, it, their celebrity never, it, it didn't even, it didn't come into my mind. What came into my mind were these wonderful humans that were yeah. creating amazing talent. And um, because I could identify with that and I could understand their language, um, it really helped me to be genuine with them. I, I was never, I never had to put an act on. I could be who I was. And I think, you know, <clears throat> the broken parts of me um, connected me to these artists because, you know, many artists have dramatic stories, you know? Yeah. Yeah, no, you're right, Jason. So much music comes from heartbreak and kind of how you, it's almost like a therapy, right? For, for the artist. And, and, and so, he, even in actors, they draw yeah. a lot of what they put on the screen from these experiences. You know, they're able to tap into a certain emotional place. Yeah. And that emotional place often comes from, a, you know, heartbreak in their and, life. and, and, and yeah. moments yeah. in their life. Yeah, so. But speaking of which, Jason, what, what were some of your earliest kind of musical influences when you were listening to all these albums that your mom would bring home? Was there anything that stood out to you when you were a kid? So, uh, so yeah, so early on, um, it was funny because my life is very much in chapters. Have you ever had your palm read, JL? I've not, no. So it's, a, it's an interesting thing. It's not something I, you know, you know I mean, my family, you know, very into astrology and, you know, all these, you know, hippie new age kind of philosophies. Uh, but um, I remember having my, my palm read and uh, my lifeline is broken. 
like mm. there's like 15 20 so it's like you know um it was like oh it could be the end of my life it could be the end of my life. but there are chapters you know so i early my early music chapters was very much uh 50s music you know so um absorbing you know a lot of elvis and everly brothers and um uh but i i, I could remember like you know like the book of love uh or um uh little deuce coop um like songs like this really just resonated in my soul at a young age uh, and um and then I, when i moved from la to san diego i um i had a one of my best friends a guy named eddie miller i remember the first time uh he played led zeppelin black dog to me and it was like and it was like, it was an awakening. It was like, oh my God. Cause you know, of course I got into pop and you know, I was into like general public and you know, uh, you know, a, a lot of like, you know what was happening on the radio 91X in San Diego was pumping out great music um, and a lot of ska and you know and it's cause I'm a huge ska punk head. Um, but when I heard Led Zeppelin that was like a life changing moment. And then I remember, you know him cause I was always also into Bob Marley but he opened up the door to Alpha Blondie and I mean all this reggae music. And when I heard Still Pulse, in fact, uh, I kind of pumped the song into our promo, uh, a song called Stepping Out. Yeah. And, yeah. and I, was, I was like, this is music beyond anything I could have imagined. And it really resonated. And uh, so then I started just absorbing everything, you know, from, from the, you know, metal, to, uh, you know, Tracy Chapman, you know, and everything in between. Um, there's really not a genre I don't like. Um, there's music within genres I don't like, um, but there's not a genre that I don't, like if you look at my, my iTunes playlist, it's so bizarrely random, um, but in a way it's, it's just, it works together because they're all, you know, great music is great music. Um, so whether you're going from like uh, Bing Crosby to Grabbits or uh, um, uh, the specials uh, to Iron Maiden, you know, it, it all, it all to me was the same. It was great music. Um, right. And because my family is wonderfully colored, you know, my, all four of my grandparents are from Kiev but my auntie married a, a black gentleman. My, you know, I, we have gay people in our family. We, you know, there's just this wonderful, colorful mix of characters. So I never, I still to this day, it's not even like, I don't see black and white. I see good and bad, you know? Yeah. Uh, and either it's somebody that I really uh, connect with and, and want in my life or somebody that, you know, I run away from, you know, it's, <laughs> Right, right. It's an instinct. But it's funny, you're talking about different chapters and music and growing up in Southern California. I feel like your life is like a Tarantino movie, almost. <laughs> uh, well, that's the thing is, I don't even know if I could tell you some of the crazy bits, you know, but uh, yeah, that's, uh, you, you kind of nailed it. I, uh, I'll take that. I'll take that as a compliment. Yeah. That's, well, uh, we, we have to, we have to hear one crazy bit at, at, at the very least. I mean, isn't that what makes great stories? So, so crazy uh, as in depressing or crazy as you're in that case. 
Well, <laughs> maybe we don't want to get to nutcase. Uh, we'll, we'll get that in part two. But uh, there is something that you told me, and I've heard this story quite a bit. Um, I actually had to live in my car for a little while as a, as a sacrifice that I made. We had a big hurricane that came through South Florida mm. and it destroyed my parents' home that I was living in at the time. They went to go live with uh, my, my uh, stepfather's a minister. And so he pastored a church. They went to go live with a, a member of the church who didn't have, a, she didn't have a room for me. I could have slept kind of like in the foyer or part oh, wow. or whatever. Wow. And so my, my choice was to either kind of stay there or maybe go stay with some relatives somewhere else. But, you know, I was in Miami where everything is happening. I mean, it's the epicenter. Oh, couldn't leave. Yeah. And I just, I just knew I had to stay in Miami. I knew I had mm -hmm. to, I couldn't, couldn't go. So I didn't have a place to stay. So I'd just be in my car trying to figure it out. I'd sleep on some friends' couches and those things. And if I would not have done that, there was, um, so I, I got discovered as a model in a clothing store I was working in. And that changed my whole trajectory of my life. So mm -hmm. sometimes we make these sacrifices in our lives whether it's earlier, whether it's later, that then kind of change your lives. Or, you know, there's, there's moments in your life that you just have to take stock and use that as ammunition to move on. And I know you told me a story, although I don't know the sordid details about it, but you were homeless for, for a little while. Um, that's, I, that's, that's a story. I, I'd like to hear a little bit about it. So at 15, I decide, you know, fuck it, I'm out. And um, uh, the only thing I took, I had a, I had a beatbox and my CDs and, you know, a couple pair of socks and shoes and, you know, I'm out. And I, you know, I was going to move in with a girl I was dating for a while and I was staying with her and there was this Marine there that an ex-Marine uh, that um, um, one night came into my room and uh basically started to rip my clothes off and try to rape me um and um thankfully i i was able you know to to kind of beg him to leave me alone and of course you know that night i left and i had nowhere to go there was this park uh that um i would stay at so i you know i i crashed that night in the park um, and then, you know, uh, the park kind of became my home and there was, you know, cause nobody used this park. I don't know why it was a gorgeous little park, but there was a big garbage bin. Um, so when, you know, the rainy season came, you know, I, you know, that's where I slept at night was in the garbage bin. Yes. Um, but I still, you know, uh, did my best to go to school when I could and, uh, you know, get through it. And, after, you know, after uh, a year of that lifestyle, I, I finally kind of caved and uh, moved back in with my father and, and step family. Oh, now, um, now during this time where was your family looking for you or trying to no, figure out where? No, you know? not at all. No, it didn't. That I, they were probably glad, you know, to be, you know, relieved. Um, I was not an easy, uh, I, I guess I wasn't an easy child. You know, I was, you know, I like to push the boundaries. I'm a bit of a smart ass. 
Um, and I'm not somebody that, you know, you can just say no to, you know, it's like, I hear the word no, and that means go, you know, so, <laughs> um, <laughs> so, um, yeah, you know, I, I, you know, as I'm complaining about these people, you know, I also feel for them because, you know, um, if you're a step parent, it's, it, that can't be an easy thing to be taking care of somebody else's child mm. on a full-time basis. Um, so, um, so yeah, so I, I, I spent a year, um, on my own. Um, and, and, you know, it, as difficult and, and scary uh, as it was, um, I, I still am very glad that all of these chapters, it, I'm glad those I'm past those chapters, uh, but I'm very glad that I can go back in my life book and reflect on these moments um, because that gave me my my fight, my fight for the underdog, yeah. and right. which eventually turned into uh, uh, environmental and humanitarian efforts, um, wow. which we'll talk about later, I'm sure. No, we'll yeah. talk about it right now, because that's exactly where I was going to go to um, after you finished that, that chapter there, because you do have this really great part of you that is a give back. And so hearing that story gives even more understanding in terms of how far you really go and have gone for other people. I mean, it's just incredible. Well, you know what, Kevin, was, because I was, the, you know, I'm running with a gang, you know, we're getting into gnarly fights, destructive energy, doing lots of harm and violence. And then, um, an event called Live Aid happened. Mm. And I watched the world unite in music for a cause. And that changed my entire life. And um, an artist named Bob Geldof became my hero. Um, and I wanted to be like him. That was the guy that I wanted to emulate. And I, in my mind, I knew someday I would meet him and tell him he saved my life um and and later in life i actually did meet uh sir geldof and i've had the honor of working with him several times but before i got the chance to meet with him um my cousin who i talked about earlier uh started to date and eventually married a musician um who after high school allowed me to hang out with him during the creation of his first album called Let Love Rule. Um, so, you know- Lenny Kravitz, I, say it, it's <laughs> Lenny Kravitz. So, and I honestly, if it wasn't for my cousin and Lenny, I probably wouldn't be sitting here talking to you today. They, you know, it was, it was that uh, year of, you know, kind of carrying his guitar around. And, and I even remember, you know, going to like, you know, I was, you know, going to shows when I was still too young to get in because he's playing bars at this stage. So, you know, I'd be able to go in before for sound check. Then I'd sit outside and have to wait for the show to be done and help clean up. Um, but I remember, um, uh, let, you know, then Lenny just blows up, you know, and he starts touring with the Colt and Tom Petty. And, and I remember, you know, he's opening up for David Bowie 
uh, at Dodger Stadium. And it was amazing. I'm like sitting backstage chatting up Lisa Marie Presley. Didn't even know who she was until like Lisa Lilikoy came up to me. She goes, do you know who you're talking to? I'm like, yeah, Lisa Marie, I'm in love. And he's she's like, do you know who that is? I'm like, no, I have no idea. And then realized that was, you know, Elvis's daughter. And, um, you know, she had invited me to an after party. I was supposed to meet her at her limo. But then, you know, as she's leaving, Lenny's like, I want to talk to you. And, um, you know, and it was his 26th birthday. It was like a really momentous occasion. And basically he was saying, look, you know, I, I want you to stay in LA and I want you, cause he was, he's very charitable, you know, at that stage still is, but he was doing a lot of environmental causes showing up, but notoriously, you know, the sound was bad. The audience had a bad uh, time. Money didn't go to where it was. Put. So the idea was we were going to create this company called environmentally sound, which we did. And I would be his pit bull. I'd go out and sniff out the right charities, make sure there was a mandate that 75% of the funds raised would go to programs. The rest of the money could go to overhead. And then Lenny would bring in talent. I'd bring in talent. And we, you know, did these wonderful, amazing, you know, multi-stacked concerts for charity. Um, so at this time, I'm like connecting with Van Halen and Prince and, um Dion Ferris um uh oh my god the list just goes on and on uh so my network is building the relationships are building um and each of our shows was for a different um different cause and through that I meet who becomes my mentor Jack Healy uh who basically I mean he did not create Amnesty International but he created what Amnesty International is today. He was the guy behind the Amnesty World Tours. And I saw him connecting music to human rights issues. Again, you know, very much a Geldof moment. And I fell in love with this man. And uh, he took me under his wing. And we started, you know, doing, again, concerts and fundraisers, you know, all linked to charity. Um, and at some point I was doing a show with Green Day at the Olympic Auditorium and Miles Copeland had heard about what I'm doing. And I'm 25 at this time. Wow. And, and I get it. I'm like my friend who's A&R, um, Kelly, she's like Kelly Money. She calls me up. She's like, Jason, Miles Copeland wants to meet with you. I'm like, what what uh you know being and because in high school i was a dj i you know i i used to dj parties it was another way of me making money um so um you know irs records was like i had everything irs put out um and if you don't know who irs records is just look at their catalog i mean you yeah. do know who irs records is <laughs> right um so getting a chance to sit with miles was just like amazing and I, so at the time again you know like i have dreadlocks I'm doing charity work. And because I'm like, you know, I'm very judgmental about these, you know, the, the money part of the charity aspect, I would never, I, I was barely earning enough to pay rent. I, you know, eating top ramen, you know, that. And so I show up to my meeting in my nicest pair of Levi's, which were completely holy, dirty, wow. you know, I mean, you know, I, I didn't have money for clothes. Uh, Miles didn't care about any of that. And uh, he, but he did start off, you know, Miles is a very loud uh, in your face kind of character. And, you know, he starts banging the table and telling me how I'm wasting my time. 
and here I am like 25 years old. I probably raised over $6 million for charity. And, you know, I was very proud of what I was doing. But what he was saying is, I'm wasting my time because we're doing one-off live events. If I would take these relationships into the studio, and this is before the digital age, and we made music for charity, um, we could sell that music forever. And I didn't know where he was going, but I think he could see that my eyes were glazing over. You know, I'm very <laughs> much, you know, and, and, and I'm very much a punk at this stage. You know, it's like, you might be the biggest, baddest, but I don't give a shit. You know, <laughs> I'm me and I'm happy. Um, so at the end of that meeting, he, he gives me, he presents me with an offer to have my own record label under the IRS umbrella to produce benefit compilation albums. Wow. And it was an offer I, I couldn't refuse. I mean, you know, wrote me a $150,000 check and, you know, sent me on my way. And um, I mean, what are you going to do? It's Miles Copeland of the police. <laughs> I mean, it just it, it was just a dream come true. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So I submerged myself in, you know, again, my studio experience was incredibly limited. Um, so here I am, you know, I come up with the idea of you know, bringing Jack Healy again and say, Jack, I want to do something for your charity. What should we do? Let's do a tribute to Eleanor Roosevelt. And I'm like, wow, you know, the clash, you know, uh, this, uh, um, the punk movement, if you really get to the essence of it, are they're screaming out for human rights. What yeah. if we did a punk look at human rights? So yeah. I got, you know, all this West Coast punk, you know, Pennywise, Lagwagon, Vandals, um, uh, of course, brought in Green Day, uh, you know, and, and, uh, and started to make this tribute to Eleanor Roosevelt. Uh, for her work with the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, mm. uh, which sadly, most of us don't even know what that our own rights are. Yeah. Uh, the UDHR is one of the most powerful documents ever created. Um, and so it was an honor to be part of all that. And, uh, and it, was, it was during this um, uh, production where I get a call. Um, <laughs> I get a call and uh, I pick up the phone and, you know, this British accent's like, oi, is this Jason Rothberg? And I'm like, yeah. And he's like, uh, this is Joe Strummer. And I just start wow. laughing. And I'm like, all right, Andrew, my best friend's this guy named Andrew Wasser, super cool, uber cool guy, but he's an actor. And, you know, like I, he's a punk fan. And, you know, I, he's, I'm like, all right, Andrew, I don't got time for this, man. I'll call you later. And I hang up the phone. Assuming it rings. wasn't your friend. <laughs> and Well, the phone rings again. And he's like, first off, never hang up the phone on me again. Second off, come to Westlake Studios. I want to talk to you. And I was like, what? Westlake Studios? Oh, I, I can't get through the front door. I mean, it's like a, a legendary studio uh, on Santa Monica Boulevard. Um, just the best of the best. And so I was like, you know what? I'm going to stop what I'm doing. I'm going to drive over to, what do I have to lose? So I go up to the, you know, push the button. Who's this? Uh, Jason Rothberg. I'm here to see Joe. Beep. And the door opens. Whoa. And I was like, oh, this Andrew could not have orchestrated this. 
So now my heart, my heart's, I could feel, I remember, I could actually at this moment, I can remember feeling my heart pumping in my throat. Mm. Am I going to meet, I mean, outside of, of Bob Geldof, Joe Strummer was the voice of my life. You know, this was, this was the greatest talent in music in my mind. And so I get escorted back to studio. Uh, I, he was in studio B or C, I can't remember. Um, and in, I walk in and behind the board is Danny Saber and uh, engineer John X. And I'm like, oh my God, this is just, I'm just meeting these guys is incredible. And no one pays attention to me, you know, like I'm just standing there and I look in because I hear, I hear these percussion sounds and it's Rat Scabies sitting on the ground. Rat Scabies, the drummer from The Damned, sitting on the ground, surrounded by like sparkless bottles, boxes, like you know, every, anything you can imagine except for a drum kit. And he's doing this 15 minute drum solo that was like, I just remember, I was just like, every hair on my neck was standing up. I, and I just couldn't believe what I was in the middle of. And then an, a hand is on my shoulder. And I look around and it's Joe Strummer. And I literally fall over. I like, I, I, I my legs get weak and, and it's, and I'm stuck. And I, I, and I guess this is probably my first moment of being starstruck. And, um, and it is, it's Strummer. And he's like, man, I like what you're doing. I'm going to write your title song for this album. Oh. And he records a song called Generations, wow. uh, which I was able to produce with Danny Saber um and spent the next five days in the studio with joe and through those five days literally becomes best friends you know he's my big brother um and a relationship forms like i you know i've just never connected with a human like this in my life and yeah uh, that was probably where everything everything changed for the good and for the bad wow man i mean that's and arguably, you know, the best or if, you know, one of the best uh, punk bands of all time, the, the Clash, and, you know, definitely helped to shape a lot of what I'm about. Um, a lot of people feel that the music is, you know, this kind of raging, heart pounding, heart thudding, you know, fuck you to the world. But what you said is true. It's in the core of it, a lot of it is, you know, human rights. And a lot yeah, of but the it things, is fuck you because it's fuck you, the politicians. To fuck the machine. You, the rich man. Yeah. Right, to the machine. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, and wow. I, I can imagine, man, I, I was thinking when you were talking about the Lenny Kravitz story, uh, back in, in my days in front of the camera, I did stand in for, for Lenny Kravitz. Super oh. awesome, super amazing guy. And One was, of the nicest humans you could ever meet. Yeah. yeah, it was for a record that he did, and it was a release. Um, the commercial was for Target, so he's releasing the thing all over Target. And, you know, he plays all his own instruments. Yeah. And so they brought all of his instruments into that set, into the set. And so I would just have to stand there, you know, guitar. Trying to be Lenny Kravitz. Piano, yeah, <laughs> drums. Yeah, trying We've all to be been Lenny. there. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, at that point I had like a big Afro and that was the state, you know, the phase where he's like big Afro and, you know, there was some similarities. And um, so, but man, you know, he, talk a little bit before he come in to, to play, you know, everything just 
amazing. You know, you could feel the benevolence. But then when he get there and play, I mean, this guy, it was like a mini concert, man. It was it was amazing. And so, you know, you kind of have these moments where you're just kind of dumbstruck when you uh, when you see people at their work. And I can imagine that point when you were there with Strummer and just seeing him at his work just had to blow you away. You know, these kind of people that, you know, you see them from afar and then you know, when you're actually in, in, in the place, it's, 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 it's a seminal thing. It's just, well, when you're in the presence heart and of soul, when you're in the presence of greatness, there, you, you, there's a numbing sensation that takes over and it's almost outer body, you know? And yeah. if you can, if you can control that, that trip, you know, so you can still contribute, you can still absorb, yeah. um, but you're in this outer plane outside your own body. Um, it's uh, uh, it's a high, and I think this is why you know you know there's such you know a high level of alcohol and drug abuse um, because when you have felt that and you're sober and then it's gone, there's no way to get that feeling again. Yeah. Um, outside of you know doing drugs which unfortunately you know yeah. now a lot of us we, we lean into meditation and we do other things we find the tools um so that we don't have to become addicts um but yeah i could see why a lot of artists lose their way it's, it's well this is a good segue we're not you know we're coming to the tail end but we're going to try to squeeze as much as we can in this tail end um you mentioned meditation and you worked with one of my, and through you, I was able to work with uh, one of my biggest inspirations in terms of filmmaking, David Lynch. So can you talk a little bit about that and the tremendous things that you did via that foundation? Uh, so I, again, the best of the worst, you know, um, my, I end up marrying um, my wife, Estrella. Her father is uh, Donovan, a uh, very um, successful mu musician from the 60s and he has an incredible connection with David Lynch obviously Donovan was one of the early people to connect with the Maharishi and bring transcendental meditation to the western world um, in fact his wife uh, Linda who's just uh, an amazing human was the first person ever to meditate on television um, oh, so wow. there's this real big connection David Lynch tributes all of his creative uh, ideas to meditation. Um, so um, he started a nonprofit called the David Lynch Foundation and did this huge event to, to launch with Ringo Starr and um, Paul McCartney and uh, Katy Perry. And, I mean, just the list goes on of all these amazing artists and Donovan performed. So I was able to connect with that organization through Donovan and, you know, uh, not knowing how, you know, ridiculous I could sound. I was like, you guys need your own record label. And the executive director, Bobby Roth said, all right, do it, you know, wow. do it. And so next thing I know, I'm actually partners with David Lynch, creating a record label um, and bringing in music uh, for, to help fundraise, but more so to help, you know, reach a, a broader audience. Wow. That's incredible. 
Yeah, and I know that Transcendental Meditation has so many followers. Jerry Seinfeld, I know, talks a lot about it uh, oh, yeah. and, and how influential that's been in his work. Uh, but, you know, what is this? A, and because I'm curious about it for my own work as well, because I'm, I'm when you have kids and, you know, you're always busy, it's hard to quiet your mind. Um, is, is that something that you dedicate to as if you're like, you know, working out, going to the gym every morning? It's like, all right, this is my time every day to meditate. Well, it's interesting. So some people like, you know, I got a chance to work with um, Ben Folds, um, who I just think is an incredible, incredible talent. Um, ben or Flea from the uh, Peppers, you know, these guys will lock themselves away and meditate for 12 hours at a time. And I mean, you know, really do deep dives. And I, that was not for me. So what I loved about Transcendental Meditation and the Maharishi was very savvy when he created the formula. Uh, you know, it, it was 20 minutes in the morning and 20 minutes at night. And that was something that I commit to. Now, even today, I don't do day and night. I do, you know, I'll probably do 20 minutes in the afternoon. Um, sometimes I do 10 minutes, you know, but really 20 minutes is where you need to be to, to get that deep dive, to be able to cleanse your, your mind and calm your brain uh to to really get the effects but it is you know it's part you know i wake up in the morning i do my morning stretches and my workout uh yeah it's very much a uh part of my daily program um so but it is incredibly powerful um you know and and really there there's something to be said if you are you know if you are dealing with anxieties um, depression, uh, 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 drug abuse. Um, uh, I do believe this is a formula, a, a cure for that. Wow. Is there a technique to it or is it just literally just trying to close your eyes and calm your mind? And Oh, very much of... a technique. Yeah. You need those five days of school that you got to go to, to learn. And then you get a, you know, from your teacher will give you your qualified, it has to be a qualified TM teacher, uh, will give you your mantra, and um, they, you know, they walk you through it, you know, so yeah, it's not just being quiet. Um, <laughs> there, right. there, there, yeah, there is a process. Gotcha. Yeah, cool. Yeah, I have to say the project that we did together for them, the, the animated project, and I got notes from David Lynch, I couldn't believe it. Um, that was like a, a trans, transcending experience in and of itself. Um, in that one, you had Peter Gabriel, Dave Stewart, uh, Tom MC Waits, Light, I mean, five, it was, a lot yeah, of really, 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 wow. I mean, the names and the people that you've worked with is just, you know, unbelievable. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, very, again, the, the best of the worst, that was by far some of the best. Mm. Yeah. So what would you say? And I know that this is always hard to measure, but you know, a moment or one of the moments you, you mentioned Bob Geldof um, that really stands out as this is wow like you know for me it was when uh, Danny Glover did the narration for one of my documentaries and mm. he had a really great conversation and you know he said a couple of things that kind of changed a lot of trajectory for me but uh, for you what was a moment that you're like wow you know this is someone that and Joe Strummer, I'm sure was, 
Um, and maybe if that is, that is it, you know, let me know. But uh, it could be a moment. It could be a couple of moments where you were just like, wow, this is it. Yeah, I think I think the strummer moments probably are, you know, those are some of my peaks. Um, but working with Tony Canal and no doubt was uh, was some of the most fun I've ever had. Um, connecting with Cube and getting him in the studio with Corn and Mac 10 was uh, insane. Um, gosh. Um, what about Bob Geldof when you finally met him? So, oh God, did I, 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 I again, a starstruck moment. So um, through Donovan and Linda, I connected with Lord and Lady Cowdery and they uh, support, uh, support an organization. Uh, uh, well, actually not just the organization, but uh, they support uh, his holiness, the Gowling Drukpa. So the Gowling Drukpa is where the Dalai Lama is like the political leader. Uh, uh, the Gowling Drukpa would be the spiritual leader. And I, and I did have a chance to work uh, with the Dalai Lama and I was completely, I mean, I, I loved him, but was completely uh, disappointed in the structure that surrounded him. Mm. Um, but when I met the Gowling Drupa, I met, you know, probably the closest thing to Jesus Christ you could imagine. You know, this man was, is a, is a prophet. He's amazing. He's just so full of love and so we were doing a fundraiser for him and everybody's on that stage dave gilmore and um ringo and um oh my god but geldof was there as well and i remember estrella dragging me over because geldof was standing in the field and it was funny because it's like kind of a rainy day in england and you know we're in this very posh countryside estate and you know all these people in their tuxes and dresses and i remember just standing next next to geldof and just i must have just been staring at him you know and um i could and strella kept on like say something say i'm like i i, I there's no words i don't know what to say and you know he was so kind he just looked at me he goes can you imagine he goes if everybody would just not buy these dresses and tuxes we'd have the money and we wouldn't have to show up to this stupid show. <laughs> <laughs> That's actually a very valid that'll, point. <laughs> that'll break the ice. <laughs> oh no, I just, it was just like, um, I mean, so then at that point I was like, Oh my God, I was homeless. You saved my life. You're everything. Oh. And then he was just like, all right, you're a fanboy. get away, you know? <laughs> and then later in life, I connected with his partner, Des Shaw who opened up the doors and allowed me to do a couple of documentaries with Geldof. And um, I remember hanging out with him, Dublin. And, you know, at that point, you know, it was more, you know, being not that he's my friend, but uh, uh, you know, it was a very friendly atmosphere yeah. and being able to just talk with him like a normal human. And again, yeah. these artists are so prolific and so intelligent Um I, I don't think the public realizes uh, the mental capacity that these uh, men and women uh, possess. Um, we just appreciate, you know, oh, what a great song or, you know, you know, what a good looking guy. But, you know, when you get to that level, you're not at that level because, you know, you could write a good song or you're lucky. 
you know, mm -hmm. you are you uh, and to steal a word, you know, from Kev earlier and, and from TM movement, you know, it, it they transcend everything in the human race. You know, yeah. they're just so beyond us. It's just, um, it, yeah, it's an awe moment, you know? Yeah. So again, we're at the, we've been at the tail end for like 10 minutes, but I'd be bereft to not mention, speaking of transcending and, you know, relevance, uh, Bishop Desmond Tutu and yeah. the work that you've done with, uh, talk about your, your holiness, um, with Bishop Desmond Tutu and the birthday event that you told me about, and I was beginning to become involved in, and it, I just uh, wasn't able to connect when you when you did it. But yeah. you know, talk about regrets. <laughs> uh, that was an incredible. Oh, uh, that was like, it, and again, these productions are so difficult and so you know, and you know, I never, I've never been paid uh, outside of expenses for my charity work. So you know, um, you can't imagine the amount of work and time that goes into these things. But, uh, you know, I did a lot of work with the United Nations. I was promoting and producing concerts inside the General Assembly Hall for their events. And through working with the UN, I, I was lucky enough to work with, uh, with Father, with uh, Archbishop Tutu, um, and built a friendship with him. And, um, and when his 85th was coming up, I was contacted by Mpo, his daughter, uh, who asked me if I would, you know, produce a celebration for his birthday. And so, you know, we had planned like a mega event in South Africa and all these satellites event around the world. In the end, because of funding, we just, you know, did a mega event in LA and, you know, Quincy Jones and Incubus and um donovan and spencer davis fishbone mighty mighty Bostones. uh i mean there was just all this chemo the blacksican who again another amazing talent friend of mine um it was just you know star-studded event uh to honor this man for his work um yeah it was a, an incredible incredible event that i'll uh, you know i feel blessed and cursed to have been part of. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, looking back, man, you know, and I saw some of the footage again, I regret that I wasn't able to get there, but I saw some of the footage and I continue to see some of the footage, especially, you know, because of the moment now with, uh, with the art. Yeah. I just posted just on, my, on my Instagram. I just posted a little uh, teaser from that LA event. Oh, nice. Yeah. yeah I mean, there's no amount of money that can, you know it because it wasn't about money you know it was all yeah. about you know it was about the message you know yeah. and even with my fundraising it wasn't fundraising i was i was my job was you know i, I my specialty is connecting celebrity with cause for branding to yeah. get your message out to a bigger to a bigger audience yeah so yeah. that brings us home or space station my Back own. to the space station. Beam us up, Scotty. Yeah, where, where, you're at, where you're at right now. I'll send Man. Twiggy to pick you up, JL. I love it. I'm waiting. It's like the new Uber. <laughs> Don't give them any ideas. They'll start charging. Yeah, you right. You're right. That, that, that's absolutely right. Um, you know, it's, it's been an incredible experience, you know, connecting and seeing this bigger picture in terms of, you know, Rose coming on board. We have Peg to interview Ezra Miller. Um, we did Reeve Carney 
just a little while ago. You brought in Steve Vai, arguably one of the greatest guitar players of all time. Um, and Colin O'Donoghue, which has been really amazing working with him. Mm. He just fit in there like uh, the puzzle piece, that puzzle piece that we didn't know that uh, that was missing. So, okay, so Colin was the lead actor in that movie I was talking about earlier, the Irish production fairy tale. Yeah. And when I was on set with him and watched him act and I was, I was like, wow. I mean, he's absolutely gorgeous, but that really is outweighed by his charisma and his yeah. acting chops. And then I started to do like, you know, more investigation and realized he's a phenomenal musician as well. Look, every second person in Ireland is an incredible musician. <laughs> right. But he, he really like he had. So when Kevin I, you know, and Gene Franco decided to do this, um, I, you know, I, I'm not a celebrity. I really I, I'm not even interested in my name being out there in front. I'm very much I'm very comfortable behind the talent, behind the camera. Um, so when this started getting, like really getting popular, um, you know, I, I knew I wanted to bring somebody in to work with Rose. And when I suggested Colin, Kevin was like, yeah, that's it, let's do it. And, um, and yeah, his first interview was with Steve, I, and a, like a fish to water, yeah. he was a natural. And he told me later, he was incredibly nervous and you know, he never like he's you know he's always on the other side of being interviewed you know so for him to be the interviewer interviewee um, yeah, yeah he was the guy doing that you know it was a very different hat for him to wear but he he absolutely again he was uh, instantly you know fit into the cast and crew and elevated the show to a level uh and february 3rd is his first um podcast episode and i um i i just cannot wait for the public at large to get it uh uh to get to see him in a different way than they've ever seen him that's awesome and where, where can we see that again that's going to be on apple so yeah the podcast every streaming platform apple pod um uh spotify every platform and then um uh later spring sometime this year the tv series will launch um, and, um, you know, we have a contract on the table from Apple TV, like I told you, um, but, uh, I, again, I don't know, cause you know, Kevin's dad, I'm mom to this project, uh, <laughs> you know, we want the best for our child. So, um, some very big players are now kind of checking us out and having us, you know, uh, sitting down for negotiations. Uh, so you never know. This might be something you could turn on your television and see it there. Uh, uh, we'll all find out together. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, I, I can say it was it was a dream uh, getting to direct you, Jason, <laughs> in our in our pilot. But Colin did help to kind of make it a lot easier for everyone. And so um, it's been a an incredible ride. Maybe we'll put a little a little link there on the Screen Heat Miami website, but uh, this has been an amazing, amazing interview. I don't know how we do it every time, JL. But, I don't know uh, how we do it. Well, <laughs> well, I know what needs to happen. I need one of these avatars soon. I, I want to do some future podcast, um, and I want to. I want to do yes. the Jason thing. We're going to yes. get you one, definitely. Yeah. You'll be one of the first. 
Uh, Thanks. But, well, it's been a delight hanging out with you guys. I, I hope I didn't scare your audience too much, but the point to my story is believe in yourself, stay strong, but mostly, you know, really be kind, be yeah. loving, you know, don't burn bridges. And you would be amazed uh, how a, um, uh, you know, a punch one day can turn into a kiss, you know? So take your punch. <laughs> That's great. That's a lyric. Yeah. Yeah. Take your punch and give it a kiss. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to put that on my Instagram stories. I think that's that's a great quote. I love yeah. it. Yeah, punk. That's a punk. punk quote. But but Kevin, don't we have to end on our two parter? That's oh, our that's signature. right. Oh yeah, but that was kind of it right there though. That could have been just it. Gave the advice. He did. Give he did the advice. just give the advice, which is Uh-oh. you know we we always let's see how much time we have. Yeah, we always um, ask our guests at the end. I don't know. I started this tradition in the very first podcast. Um, we ask if you could go back and talk to your younger self, what advice would you give your younger self knowing what you know now? Oh, wow. This is like back <laughs> to the future type stuff. Yeah. Um, don't worry what people think or say. Um, be true to you. Um, be you, you know, I mean, that's, I think the biggest thing I've ever learned is um, it doesn't matter. And that's why I think at this point in my life, I'm okay exposing the scars along yeah. with the awards um, because it's okay to be human. It's okay to trip and fall. It's all about getting back up and, you know, doing that with grace and, and, um, uh, and dignity. Mm. So, yeah, lo- love I don't know if we can go to the second question. We got to go to the second one. <laughs> we have to. We but, have to uh, I mean. but I think yeah. this is a good sort of dovetail to end it because, you know, a lot of our audience are sort of younger filmmakers, creative artists, and just folks that are looking to express themselves. So, you know, and I think, Jason, based on your journey, uh, you'd make such an amazing mentor. So if, if you were to talk to sort of a young aspiring filmmaker or music producer or musician artist, uh, what advice would you give them as they're starting their career now in in the current century? I think right now, I'm glad you asked that because right now more than anything, because I I've always because of my charity work, I've just you know always incorporated incorporated interns and you know and and I've really enjoyed. I don't consider myself. I don't. I'm not. You know, I, I'm not smart enough. I'm not good enough to be a mentor. You know, I I I have experience. I'm very good at what I do. But I'm not, you know, I'm not Jack Healy. I'm not Steve Bender. I'm not some of the, the gentlemen and, and women who've come into my life and, and have helped me to learn. Um, but I, what I would say now is, you know, don't expect, you know, to have your success by the end of clock out today. You know, be willing and ready to take on the hard jobs. Be willing and ready to prove yourself be willing and ready to think about the bigger project before your own success. And through that, you will build relationships that will lend to your own success and your own rewards and your ability to produce content and be creative. But nobody, unless you're financially independent somehow and you could just finance your own, uh, and even then you'll probably fail 
because you don't have the experience and knowledge to do it. So unless you can go in and work for somebody, and in fact, last night we had an amazing show with Carmen Rizzo, and he was telling us how he was like, he started off as the janitor at Westlake Studios, you know, and he was over the moon to have that job just because he knew he was in the right place to develop relationships. Um, this is, you know, we're living in a microwave generation now, um, but in reality, when you unplug your, your tablet, when you hang up your phone, when you get off of freaking Instagram, none of that applies. You know, everything you're learning through social media is absolutely the antithesis of the skills and the mindset you need to be a leader and a creator. Mm. Wow. That's great that, advice. Yeah, that that's that is amazing. And you mentioned Carmen Rizzo, who's worked with the best. And someone Michael else who's Jackson, worked with the best. Prince, the best. Silk, yeah. uh, uh, Quincy Jones, you name it, everybody. And still, these guys. And that's the thing is, when you get into those circles, there's no ego. No. You know, yeah. it's the outer circles when you have to deal with the egos because they're not the real thing. You know, if you have an ego, you're putting that front on because there's a there's a chink in your armor that, you know, we can sniff out, you know, when you when you are the real deal, you don't need to have an ego because everybody's already loving you and worshiping you because you're doing great stuff. So earn it that way. Don't tell us how great you are. Show us how great you are. Show don't tell. I love yeah, it. That's great. <laughs> well, I think uh, I think that's a wrap. Jason, yes. that was amazing. Thank you. Thank you, Jason Rothberg. Absolutely. Thank you, Kevin. Thank you, JL. Again, I'm a huge fan of what you guys do. Keep doing the great work. It's it's really impressive and, and exciting to hear your show every week. We're back. That. Talk about journeys. Fire. Yes. He went through the fire. He did. Wow, what a crazy life. I mean, you know, good for him that he was able to come through and not only come out of, you know, what what seemed like a very tenuous situation as as an adolescent, but to be able to do not only help create so much great music and be involved in so many facets of the industry, but really to give back and do so much charity work as well. It was amazing. Yeah, yeah. Well, interview, things that happen oftentimes just form and shape you into what you later become now it yep. could go one way or it could go the other way yep. uh, luckily for jason it, it went the it went way the other way because it became outreach to people and connection with people and connecting people you know all of his cha- work in charity and the nonprofit realm uh really was his journey of growth and as i know him personally you know it, it's now you know moving for a path towards even bigger bigger things so yeah. yeah plus we're now one degree of separation from lisa bonet <laughs> and uh and zoe kravitz and I'm, zoe. <laughs> I'm not gonna sorry jason i had to say it oh jason it. Anyway. but uh you know catwoman oh catwoman batman is about to come out oh yeah um, she plays catwoman to me it's looking like she's going to be one of the best cat women um i don't know michelle pfeiffer for me is, has been the best one yeah um and then eartha kit you know it's comp- sure Let's see what Zoe does with that role. Yeah, well, you know, um, she comes from a lineage of actors. Her grandmother was a very popular TV actress, remember? Uh, yeah, Jeffersons, all that stuff. Yeah, Roxy Roker. Absolutely. That's right. And uh, from Miami, I believe. Yeah. 
Yes, yes. Originally from the Bahamas, but yeah, right. Miami via, via the Bahamas. So yeah, there, man, I'm excited. <laughs> that's right, man. <laughs> so I have a movie I want to talk about. You got man that does not fit into our regularly scheduled program, but it really blew me away. It's a movie called Pig. Mm. Sorry, Nicholas Cage. He's back to form. Really? They're talking Oscar buzz on this one, and I say yes. Whoa. This movie is about a truffle farmer who has his pig absconded. Mm. So if anyone knows anything about truffles, the way you find truffles, it's a root that you find in the forest, and pigs can sniff these truffles out. Special pigs. Truffle pigs. That's right. <laughs> truffle pigs. And so you can imagine how valuable these truffle pigs are because you want to think $80 an ounce up to $250 an ounce truffles go for. And right. so he has his, I said absconded, but uh, stolen. His truffle pig stolen. And so it's his journey to find his pig. But I mean, it's so much more than that. This is definitely one of the best movies that I've seen in a long time. And it feels really good to see Nicolas Cage back to form. Yeah. Yeah, it's been a while. It's been a while. But Oscar buzz for him, too. And for the film, for the movie. Uh, this is the director is not, uh, you know, a big, big time director. I believe this is his uh, directorial debut. Oh, He's, wow. His feature directorial debut. Okay. Um, he's directed a couple of things, but uh, yeah, apparently, I mean, yeah, what, he wrote the script as well. Michael Sarnowski. That's right. Tour de force uh, mm -hmm. for him coming out. I'm excited to see what he comes out with next and and in the future. So, cool. kudos, Nick Cage. Well, I'm gonna check that uh, one out. You know, I, I love a good pig movie. I've done a couple myself. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> that's right. But uh, moving on, moving on. Well, moving on and trying to move on, but apparently they're stuck are the good folks at Paramount and <laughs> everything that's going on with their slate of huge blockbusters, all of which, for whatever reason, have to do with Tom Cruise. Uh, right. so, uh, apparently, we heard uh, him screaming. We yes, heard him screaming there we on the did. set of Mission yeah, Impossible. He, you can tell as a producer, he's trying, man. He's trying to finish his movies, but yeah. uh, sometimes these crew members aren't behaving. Apparently, but yes, Mission Impossible Seven and Eight have now officially been delayed once again to 2023 and 2024, respectively. I wow. believe that Mission Seven is in post, but Mission Eight has stumbled out of the blocks in terms of getting it into production. Uh, and so uh, that is added to the fact that Maverick, the long awaited sequel to Top Gun uh, continues to be delayed and is looking to finally hopefully have its theatrical debut uh, around, I, I think it's Memorial Day later this year. So, you know, film a film that probably should have come out, what, like two years ago. Yeah. Uh, and it's still just kind of pushing and pushing. Uh, you know, I think, you know, obviously Tom Cruise is a really big fan of the theatrical experience. Yeah. And so I'm sure he has a lot of say as a producer on these projects in terms of making sure that they get their proper sort of theatrical debuts before moving on to Paramount Plus or whatever. Yeah, I mean, both of those movies are big set pieces. So, <coughs> excuse me, they're the types of movies that I want to go out 
and see at the movies for sure. You know, I have a big screen at home, but it's not a big theater screen. And you want to talk Mission Impossible, you know, the excitement and action in, in those movies, it doesn't get any bigger than that. Oh, and yeah. So you want to see that on a big screen. And, you know, it's been a tough thing weaving in and out of, you know, what's going on with the whole COVID situation. I mean, Sp- Spider-Man, uh, the, the last Spider-Man, um, I can't remember second part of that title right, right. now. Was it but, No Way uh, Home? Something? No Way Home. That's it. Yeah. You know, over a billion dollars. It's the, it's all, I might be the third biggest selling. I know it's the fourth right now, the biggest selling movie of all time. And mm. so they really pulled that off in these times. I mean, I could imagine if it wasn't in this particular time period, how high it would be. But yeah. uh, to squeeze in and in between these moments, you know, Delta, which it felt like that was going to be uh, a moment where everything opened up, not to say that things aren't totally open, they are here in Florida, but really opened up, then the Omicron came. And, you know, that's really had a big effect. Mm -hmm. I mentioned at the top of the key on the production part, but also, you know, people going out to the box office. So, you know, you're weighing all these things out. Right. Do you want your film to suffer from lower box office as No Way Home showed, you know, box office people are still coming out, but you know, you want to get as much money as you can coming out of the gate, especially for those big ticket, those big ticket movies. People have been anticipating the return of Top Gun. What is this? It's like 30 years now, you know, know. 30 years. So that's a big ticket one too. Big planes in the sky, dog fights. Come on, man. Yeah. Just the trailer still gives me goosebumps, man. I got my 4k TV. It's, it's really big, but Nah, you need IMAX, I don't baby. IMAX. That. You gotta have IMAX. <laughs> Absolutely. So yeah, hopefully these release dates will stick. And in which case, Paramount, Skydance, and Tom Cruise are basically going to have uh, a slate of big tent poles coming out for the next three years. Um, obviously, Paramount and Tom Cruise with Maverick later this year, followed by back-to-back years of big summer Mission Impossible releases. So all good. If it if it sticks this time. Yeah, I just hate that they 2023, 2024. I mean, I was looking forward to those movies this year. Uh, Well, hopefully we'll get Maverick. If we can get at least Maverick this year, I'm good. Yeah, yeah. Plenty of other stuff to stream in the meantime. Speaking of which, uh, new stuff. Let's talk a little bit about a bit of controversy out of the Mouse House. uh, Yeah interesting uh you know so uh, apparently disney who did recently announced a live action remake no surprise there of snow white uh has received a little bit of blowback from a very popular actor uh by the name man of why did you have to say little bit i, di- I didn't mean that's it that. not right kevin that's not right i mean it like that you're about to get canceled I don't, I don't know how to say it. I feel like we're in a scene from Elf, speaking of. And <laughs> yeah, there's some controversy. Anyway, there's some controversy. So yeah, big Peter controversy. Dinklage, big, yeah, yes, big, little, well, anyway. Uh, <laughs> big trouble in little Hollywood. Uh, that's exactly, again. That, that should be a headline, right? <laughs> Let's use that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Peter Dinklage, who is the uh, 
multi Emmy winning actor, best known for his role uh, as uh, what Tyrion Lannister in the Game of Thrones franchise, uh, has come out on a podcast, believe it or not, with Mark Maron earlier this week, saying that uh, he was a bit offended by Disney, uh, who for all intents and purposes, is revisiting a lot of their franchises and trying to add color, variety, diversity to their cast and stories um, to the point where, you know, as a matter of fact, in Snow White, uh, Rachel Zegler, who is Latina, uh, known for her breakout role in West Side Story, uh, will actually be playing Snow, the Snow White character. But he's like, man, you guys couldn't take a step further and realize that now you have these basically seven dwarves living in a cage, in a cave, you cave. know, like, uh, <laughs> sorry, I, I, I put that part out. That's another, all over it, man. It's another movie altogether. Seven yeah. dwarves living in a cave, you know, and he's just like, you know, they, they should have maybe addressed and been a bit more progressive with uh, the way that, you know, uh, dwarfism is, uh, I guess, reflected on screen. So that's yeah. his beef. Yeah, but you know, my count and he has a movie that's out now, Cyrano, that has all the buzz and the critical sure. buzz that goes along with it. So I'm looking forward to seeing that movie. And I love him as an actor. He's a phenomenal actor. When right. you talk about Game of Thrones, you know, I'm not going to say that he carried Game of Thrones on his shoulders because it was a lot of different elements that went with it, but right. certainly. Oh, yeah. um, when you talk about some of the strongest characters, he's at the top of the oh, top of the top of the top. Yeah. Such a brilliant actor. But, yes. you know, I just well, there was a meme, and, there was a funny meme saying that, you know, his sister in the show obviously was basically paid the last season for drinking wine and staring out a window. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know. I didn't know. Didn't see that mean dude i saw that like, uh, cracked up uh, anyway fan, so. Tyrion did do a lot of the, the heavy lifting acting wise but yeah. um but yeah this is the statement from disney to avoid reinforcing stereotypes from the original animated film we are taking a different approach with these seven characters and have been consulting with members of the dwarfism community says disney and that's what i was going to get to I, he, he may be jumping the gun we don't know what it's going to look like we don't know whether right. it's going to be celebratory because maybe it is yeah you know but then, Look, you I'm know a... how do they even you know it's called snow white and the seven dwarves right uh so and now they're referring to them as characters so are they even going to take the word dwarves out but is that the wrong thing to do because that's the official title or name for how to address folks from that particular community or population what do you think i mean i think it's look this is good that Peter Dinklage came out about it because you sure. have to spark the conversation and start the conversation. Right. And so we have to look towards, you know, what's happening and, and the times, you know, we talked about the metaverse that's going to transform, be transformative for the film and entertainment industry, but it's always this transformation. I mean, especially in this industry, you want to go back. I teach as well. And part of those teachings have to do with the evolution of the industry. You know, mm. we started, back in the day with Malise and the horses. And then, you know, you moved on sound, all of a sudden changed the industry and then TV. And then, you know, with Netflix changing the industry. And now it's become more, I mean, the Me Too movement obviously changed a lot of uh, the culture or mm. I'm not gonna say it's changed it yet, <laughs> but, but there are changes that are happening. Sure. And not just, and not just the film and entertainment industry, the Me Too movement, you know, has 
gone throughout other industries right. and throughout the world. And that was sparked by, again, the film and entertainment industry. So it's great to start the conversation and to have engagement. Right. But without knowing what's happening on the other side, um, you know, it could be jumping the gun. I, I don't know for sure. Maybe Peter Dinklage has some or is privy to some information that we don't have. Right. And perhaps, you know, I, being a Black person, I'm the first person to, to look at some grievances in terms of industry. Mm. Yeah, um, absolutely. And I think his Peter's point, to Peter's point, he was basically addressing the fact that they kind of went half progressive or I guess half woke on this one by recasting Snow White as a Latina character, but then kind of leaving the rest of the the characters more or less the way they were in the original animated film. But we don't know, though. We won't right. know until the movie right. comes out. You're right. I and mean, they just, yeah, you're right. And and like I said, there, there's not enough information, but obviously whatever he said, Disney has put a pause now and taken a step back to reassess how these characters will be depicted in the film, which apparently are going to be CGI. They're not even going to be real oh, really? actors. Yeah. Uh, so that's the thing. Like, uh, yeah. what, what are you going to do uh, there? CGI dwarves and uh, uh, you're right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if they were Zavatars like you, it'd be a different All right, story. Maybe. Yeah. I maybe. would buy it, but yeah. You know, but I don't know. Maybe the thing is, you know, we just don't know until the movie comes out. Right. I, I, I'm sorry. I didn't know that they were going to be CGI. And uh, I personally feel maybe they should have been regular people. But yeah. again, you never know until the movie comes out. Right. So, I mean, some people already know. But mm -hmm. if they're having conversation with the community and mm -hmm. integrating you know, whatever points come from those conversations into the production, then, you know, maybe it's going to be okay. But well, apparently you know, starting with uh, Aladdin and the live action remake of Mulan, they have been hiring what's called cultural consultants on these yeah. films, whatever that means. Uh, so I don't know in the case of Snow White, what that's going to mean, but yeah, definitely, I guess they're taking a very, hard look at how these stories have been told in the past and how they should be evolved to be told now and in the future and or you can stop making remakes and come up with original shit i don't know <laughs> how about that that's a thought that's a thought <laughs> that's a thought i mean another thing is uh, so you know i have a young daughter she's uh 22 months and so now it's become revisiting all of these old disney films and classic films and stuff like that the classic films there's most for the most for most of them there's disclaimers before them you know this is this film has depictions of cultural cultural appropriation whatever. or yeah it doesn't it's right. not appropriation indiscretions you know? i don't know yeah it was wrong <laughs> then and it's wrong now but insensitivity you know, perhaps there you go yeah <laughs> it's wrong then it was it's wrong now but we right. wanted to you know, keep it for historical, you know, reference and da right. da 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 da, da. Mm -hmm. which I think is, is a good thing. You know, there is a lot to be said about yeah you know, going in there and really rooting out, you know, all of this bad, uh, you know, juju. But right. um, you know, this might have been a a check. 
you know, Peter, Peter Dinklage checking them hard mm. to, to ensure. Right. Right. That it, you know, is looked at in the, in the right way. So maybe, we'll maybe, maybe they'll hire him as the cultural consultant on this. One. <laughs> I don't, I don't know about that, but um, we, we're just going to wait and see how this all plays out. And I think, you know, definitely we, we want to look at that as uh, things move forward. But there is something that I wanted to mention now that we're speaking about Disney. Uh, I do have Disney stock, another full disclosure. Jesus, um, man. <laughs> it looks Can't talk like, about anything on this show. <laughs> no, we can talk about it. You know, <laughs> Disney, we want a sponsorship. Um, but, uh, you know, one thing, and this is not just Disney, this is Netflix and a couple of other streaming platforms. They're slowing down. I mean, my, my Netflix uh, stock tanked three days mm. ago. It went down by 24%. Wow. Saturating yeah. market kind of thing. Slowing the yeah. growth. It's slowing because the growth is now slowed on a lot of these streaming platforms, right. uh, Disney included. And so, you know, what's being said is, have they reached this kind of peak? And sure. we know, and, and, you know, as people start to come out and, and, and go to live events and go to the theaters, what we're going to see is a leveling off and a balance between i mean look we talked just a few months ago about you know is this theatrical window done i mean we were reporting we weren't uh necessarily saying one way or the other is the theatrical window done mm. but you know that again spider-man no way home right that was pretty much everyone in these shifting sands are trying to figure it out so, yeah and I think, you know, the, the consensus has been, you know, not to eliminate the window, but to shorten it once again. I think the last conversations we're talking about now, a 45-day window between theatrical and streaming. Yeah. So, you know, if that's enough to kind of allow the theaters, you know, some kind of wiggle room to make some money before these things go to streaming platforms or whatever uh, is yet to be seen. But, you know, I, I think completely evaporating and going day and date is probably not the answer. I think eliminating theatrical is not the answer, but I, I think if they can find a nice middle ground there and maybe it's 45 days, maybe it's 60 days, who the hell knows? Uh, I think they definitely have to find, you know, a way forward to give theaters at least a chance to be successful. No, but I, yeah, I think that that's going to happen. So you know, there is going to be a theatrical window. You've seen, I said Spider-Man No Way Home, but we've seen success stories and yeah. even, even in this time period. So, but what I also think is that there needs to be an evolution and I'm going to drop a dime. I don't want to drop this dime, but I'm going to drop it anyway. Um, AMC, all you theaters look towards AR experiences. I think that this is going to be uh, transformative for the industry because just imagine you go to a movie and it's bigger than the 3d experiences. You know, you have on your AR glasses and you really get this immersive, immersive experience, truly immersive experience. Mm. You can't get anywhere else. And then also I feel that there's going to be interactive experiences moving into the future and those kind of things i think need to be embraced yeah. evolution you know we how long ago was 3d 20 years ago when 3d kind of became the big thing i think now it needs to become more of a transformative evolution so. here's my problem with that kevin is that when i go to the, i'm very lazy 
And if you start to make me put on glasses and do a bunch of shit and actually choose where I'm going to look and what I'm going to do and interacting with the fucking movie, I'd rather go be in a movie myself. Well, not that kind of interactivity. I just want to have popcorn and a couple drinks and watch my goddamn movie. (laughs) (laughs) Not that interactivity per se, but, you know, there there could be experiences like that, you know, so offshoots of interactive experiences. But when I say interactive, we do put on 3D glasses for 3D movies. We do. Yeah. Yeah. So, Absolutely. You know, and, and that's true. But that type of experience can be expanded exponentially with AR. Mm-hmm. And that's what I'm talking about. Not for people to actually do things, but for things to kind of be done to inhabit them. around. <laughs> I'm sorry. Be done to them. <laughs> Yeah, things we yeah, things to be oh, done boy. to people. But they're but they're yeah, but when I say immersive, you know, things can really populate and happen in a yes. different kind of way. And yes. more than anything, what I'm talking about is an evolution into the future. Hmm. So that's my that's my 10 cents. We'll leave you with that little nugget for the next one, but I think we've uh we've we've exhausted our our heat for today but <laughs> that's enough <laughs> more to talk about but that's folding enough, so. but this is amazing yes another good one in the can my friend there you go i'm kevin sharply jl martinez screen eat miami we'll hear you next week dolly boom